0: So as we get into the 17th chapter, we find that the land has continued to be divided by Joshua and the portion that was to be given to a half of the tribe of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh took part of its inheritance on the other side of the Jordan River, a half a tribe. And then the other half was to settle on the Western Bank, on what is actually the West Bank today in the land of Israel. And part of that did belong to Manasseh at the time Of the dividing of the land. Now, when we get down to verse 12, we read again of the failure of the children of Israel to completely drive out the enemy. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were stronger, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but they did not utterly drive them out verses 12 and 13. This was a failure on the part of the children of Israel to enter into the complete victory and the complete conquering of the land. Now, we've talked about before in the past how that the whole experience of the children of Israel coming out of the bondage of Egypt, passing through the wilderness, and coming into the promised land is a spiritual allegory. It is representative of us as Christians coming out of our Egypt, the bondage of sin. The Red Sea is equivalent to our baptism and coming into a new relationship with God. And how that God has promised to us a life of victory over our flesh. Coming into the walk and the life of the Spirit that God wants each of you to experience and to know. He desires that we take full victory over every area that the enemy has a stronghold in, in our lives. And if we allow any of these strongholds of the enemy to remain, they are going to be a continual and constant problem to you in your spiritual growth. Now, many of these areas of our flesh Maybe it's a bad temper, or maybe it's anger, you know, other types of characteristics, pride, or whatever, whatever it is that you deal with in your life. Now, God wants to give you complete and full victory over these areas of your flesh, and he has provided all, <laughs> he has provided all that you need. But many times, even as the children of Israel failed to utterly drive out the enemies, but yet in time to come, their failure to drive out the enemy utterly worked to their own disadvantage. So many times in our own lives where we fail to enter into the full victory of that very area where we haven't really gone in and laid claim to our victory in Christ, is the very area where we find ourselves attacked by Satan in the future. And so oftentimes defeated in the future because we failed to fully take the promise that God has given to us and lay claim to the full victory that we can have as we walk in the spirit. So the failure of complete victory is one of the sad Tragic notes of Joshua all the way through. You see that they did not utterly drive out the inhabitants, that they did not take fully the land, that they did not conquer all that God had given, and it later worked to their own harm. So let us not follow after the same example, but let us walk in the Spirit and enter into the fullness. I don't want to have any closed doors to God. I want to be totally open for whatever God might have in mind for me and for my life. Because number one, (laughs) I need every bit of help I can get. So I don't want to fall short of anything that God may have for me. I want to be open to it. I want to always have a total openness when I approach God. God, whatever you have in mind, Whatever, Lord, you have there to give to me, Lord. I desire it. I need it. I want it. And I feel sorry for many people who have such a concept of God that they can't open themselves totally up to him. But they put the limitation. Now, God, I really don't want this, Lord. I don't need that. And they'll put limitations on God as though God is going to give them something that is, well, that's not really going to be a benefit or a blessing to them. I don't want to put any kinds of strings upon that which God might want to do for my life, in my life, or through my life. I want to be totally open before God in all things. So I want to gain every victory that God has for me. I want to possess all of the promises that God has given to me and I want to claim the whole land. Why should I come short of the fullness that God wants to work in my life? Why should I stop short when God is urging me to go on? Why should I allow or tolerate an area of my flesh that is still not committed to the spirit and under the control of the spirit? Why should I set up a peaceful coexistence with some weakness of my own flesh? I desire to know the complete and full victory of Jesus Christ in every area of my life. I want to keep pressing on and laying claim until I have conquered through Christ all that has been promised to me. God laid out the borders, and I don't want to come out short of anything that God has for me. But the children of Israel tragically did. They did not conquer all the land. They left enemies and pockets of enemies within the land. When they became stronger, rather than driving them out, they just taxed them and made slaves of them. But there was a failure, verse 14. The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing that we are a great people? For as much as the Lord has blessed me. Verse 14. Now, Ephraim and Manasseh were two of the larger tribes, and they were the sons of Joseph. So that when it refers here to the tribe of Joseph, it is actually referring to the double tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Because they had so many. They said, why have you given us just one lot? We really are so big, we should have two lots. That in the casting of lots, they would, well, they divided off the land, and they made a map and divided off the land, and then they would cast lots who would get this portion. And they said, we've got so many people. We really need two lots for the tribe of Joseph. So Joshua agreed to that, that there should be two lots given to them. So they drew another lot so that Manasseh was dwelling next to Ephraim on the west bank. And the other part of Manasseh, of course, was over on the east bank on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, in chapter 18, we find that the tabernacle was set up at Shiloh. Now, the tabernacle, the place of the worship of God, which was with them there in the wilderness, and wherever they would go, they would set up the tabernacle. It was the place where they would offer their sacrifices to God, and they were not allowed to offer their sacrifices to God just anywhere. Only one place could they really make an offering unto God, a sacrifice, and that was at the tabernacle. So, Now that they're in the land, the first place where the tabernacle was set up within the land was at Shiloh. So this is the place for the spiritual gathering together of the people. It would seem that the capital, if there were such a thing at the time, was probably in Shechem. But the spiritual center of the people was at Shiloh. That is where they set up the tabernacle. And so the offering of the sacrifices, the institution of the offerings of the priesthood and so forth, was made at Shiloh. Now, at this point, there remained seven tribes that had not yet received their inheritance. Only three of the tribes by this point had actually received the territory that belonged to them. So they chose three men from each of these tribes that they might go into this territory as a survey team and more or less mark out the territory, draw out the boundaries. Usually the boundaries were by cities and rivers and valleys and mountains and so forth so that they could draw out the boundaries of the territories of the tri- that the tribes were to receive. So in the 18th chapter, it deals with the drawing of these boundaries and then of the casting of the lots the various tribes now in verse 11 the lot of the tribe of benjamin came up according to their families and the lot of the tribe of judah and the children of judah benjamin was to dwell right there actually around the area of jerusalem and north of that a narrow strip that went from jordan on up through bethel As we get into the 19th chapter, the second lot came forth, and it was for the tribe of Simeon. And Simeon became the southernmost tribe in Israel, the area down around Kadesh Barnea. It was a desert area, a vast desert area of Beersheba, and up almost to Hebron. But that whole southern part was the lot that Simeon received. Now, if you were of the tribe of Simeon, you may have thought that you got a bum deal because it's pretty much desert and wilderness there down there, but there is one nice advantage. It's very beautiful in the wintertime. It's sort of like a Palm Springs in the wintertime. And the third lot in verse 10 came up for the children of Zebulun. And they received the area of the Valley of Megiddo and up in that area up in there. So Zebulun was in the vast valley that goes from Haifa on back towards Mount Gilboa. The fourth lot came up and it was for the tribe of Issachar. And they received the area south of the Sea of Galilee, verse 17. The fifth lot came out for the children of Asher in verse 24, and they received that beautiful coastal area from Haifa on up to Sidon. So the area that includes Akko and that neat, beautiful area along the Mediterranean. Extremely beautiful area. And in the 32nd verse, the sixth lot came out for Naphtali and they received the area around the Sea of Galilee. Now, really, here's one area I wouldn't mind living at all. The Sea of Galilee is one of the most beautiful places, well, quite frankly, that. I've ever seen. I can understand why Jesus spent most of his ministry at the Sea of Galilee. It's almost equivalent to spending your ministry in Hawaii or something. It's just a neat, beautiful area. Even to the present day, it is not really highly developed. But I'll tell you what, man, if you had a house there on the Sea of Galilee with like a ski boat, man, you would have a fabulous setup. It's just so beautiful this was given to the tribe of Naphtali. So there was always, of course, the farming on the hillside along the Sea of Galilee, good water supply, and it's just a beautiful place. The weather is quite nice there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get warm in the summertime, but too warm, but you are 600 feet below sea level. So in that pocket, it does stay pretty warm, but it is tremendously fertile land and a great agricultural area. And the seventh lot came out for the tribe of Dan in verse 40. Now Dan was given the area known as the Hula Valley, which is the upper Jordan before it gets to the Sea of Galilee. It is that valley with the Golan on the right and the Lebanese mountains on the left. And they went clear up to the Mount of Hermon area. In fact, the city of Dan is just, oh, say about three miles from the base of Mount Hermon. You're on the foothills there. The city of Dan, again, was just a fabulous, it was just a fabulous, beautiful city because you had this beautiful river coming by and you've never seen anything in Hawaii that is more beautiful than the sites around the Tell, what they call Tell Dan or the ruins of the city of Dan over there. So the upper Jordan River area, the Hula Valley was given unto Dan. Now in verse 49, when they had made an end of dividing the land for the inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked, even Timnath in Mount Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt there. And these are the inheritance which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance, verses 49 through 51. So they divided out the land and they finally gave a city to Joshua, inasmuch as he was the leader in the area of Mount Ephraim, which means that it was in the area of the center part of the land where the ancient city of Samaria or Shechem is. And that gen- general area is known as Mount Ephraim, an area that is beautiful with the many, many fruit trees. The Terraced hillsides and the fertile valleys, right in the heart of the land, and it is just a beautiful place. Chapter Twenty. Now, in the twentieth chapter, you remember that when we they came into the land, they were to establish cities of refuge, so that anybody who had killed somebody accidentally, who had not had a malice or a hatred towards the person but killed them accidentally they could flee to the city of refuge from the avenger of death. Now, we talked about the culture of revenge killing. It was quite a deeply ingrained cultural practice, and it's still practiced today in places like New Guinea and in some of the more primitive areas, revenge killing. And it doesn't matter if they killed your son by accident. If they killed a member of your family, then you were duty-bound to kill them, or if you couldn't catch them, to kill them. A member of their family. So in these days, because there were cases where a person would accidentally kill someone, they didn't have any hatred or malice against them, but it was just purely an accident. And in order to be fair, in order to be just, God had them establish six cities that they called cities of refuge, where you could flee and be safe from the avenger of blood, three on either side of the Jordan River and they were so located in the land that you were never more than a half a day's run from one of those cities. You would be running for sure. So as we look at the cities of refuge that were appointed within the land, we find the first one in the Galilee region, the upper part of the land in Kadesh, which was up in the Galilee. The second one was right in the southern part of the land in Hebron, which is down in the southern part. And then the third was at Shechem, which was right in the heart of the land. So really in the middle of the south of Hebron in the heart of the land is Shechem. And then up in the Galilee region, Kadesh, these three cities of refuge were established that a person guilty of killing someone accidentally could flee and be protected until at least he had a fair trial. In chapter 21, we read, Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites to Eleazar the priest and unto Joshua the son of Nun, verse 1. The priests were saying, now look, we know that we don't get any land, but we were promised cities and that they were to be given cities and the suburbs of those cities for their farming and all. Now automatically the cities of refuge were cities that belonged to the Levites. But other cities were also given to them. And these cities are listed through chapter 21. When we get into verse 43, the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt in it, verse 43. Now, the Lord gave it all to them. The thing is, though, is they didn't take it all. The Lord has given us a lot more than we have taken. We haven't really possessed all that God has given to us. And it is an interesting thing that God has given salvation to every man who will take it, <laughs> but not every man has taken it. The gifts of God are already given by God. Now it's up to you by faith to claim it and to take it. And the gift of salvation, it is, it's is—it's there if you'll claim it. It's there if you'll take it. The gift of the holy spirit is there if you'll take it and claim it so god gave them all of the land that he promised to give to them their problem was that they just didn't take it all and the lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swore to their fathers and there stood not a man of all of their enemies before them for the lord delivered all of their enemies into their hand and there failed not out of any good thing which the lord had spoken Under the house of Israel it all came to pass verses 44 and 45 so here's a little testimony of the faithfulness of God not one good word of God failed he kept his promises to them completely and God honors his word and God will honor his word always God will not fail to keep his promises thus all of those good things which God had promised he did fulfill. In chapter 22, after now the land has all been given and apportioned out, Joshua called the men from Reuben and Gad and the half a tribe of Manasseh, verse 1. Now, you remember these are the people who, when they were on the east bank of the Jordan River, had already established themselves there. It was good grazing country, they said. We're farmers, and this is great territory. We'd love to just stay over here and have our inheritance right here where we are. So Moses said, Providing that you'll send your fighting forces over with us to conquer the land, when the land is all conquered, then you can come back. You can leave your wives and children, your families, here You send your fighting men over with us to help take the land. And once the land is taken, then you may come back and you can dwell in the land here. So they promised that they would do just that. and They would come over and they kept their promise. Now, the land has all been conquered. The tribes have all received their portion. So Joshua called this fighting brigade to him of the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half a tribe of Manasseh who wanted the land on the other side of the Jordan. And he said, You guys have fulfilled your promise. you fulfilled your bargain. You've done what you said you would do. And what was commanded by Moses, now you may return back to your families. Take with you all of the spoils of war. For in the conquering this land, of course, they conquered all these cities. And they actually had tremendous wealth. The spoils of the war. The silver, the gold, the brass, the cattle, the sheep, all of it. And he says, Take them back and share them with the others within the tribe back on the other side of the Jordan. So you may return now. You know, they were setting them free. They, they have fulfilled their portion of the deal. Now they could go back and establish with their families on the other side of the Jordan. Now, as they were going back, when they got to the Jordan River and they crossed it, they built a huge altar that you could see for miles. And word came back to the men of Israel, and they gathered the princes in Shechem. And they said, they have built an altar to offer sacrifices and all the whole house of Israel was ready to go over and attack them because they thought that they were already lapsing into idolatry, that they would dare to offer sacrifices to God in a place other than the tabernacle, the place that God had established. So the princes of Israel got together and they came over to the men of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. And they said, what are you doing? Did you forget already the problems that our fathers have had because of idolatry? What are you doing erecting this big altar to offer sacrifices? And they said, "Well, wait a minute, you got it all wrong. We had no intentions of making any sacrifices on this altar at all. We have no intentions of making any burnt offerings or sin offerings or anything like that. This is just a reminder that we belong to you. Because we're afraid that in another generation or so, that your children will say to our children, hey, you guys live on the other side of the river. You don't have any part with us. So this is a sign. It's a memorial to show that we are a part of you, that we worship the true and the living God. And we have no intentions of offering sacrifices here. This is just so that your kids can't say to our kids, Hey, because you live on the other side of the tracks, on the other side of the river, you don't belong to us. So the princes of Israel were satisfied with this. And they went back and they told the people, hey, they're not committing idolatry. They're they're not trying to create a schism and pull away, but actually it's just a memorial. And it's just so that they will be identified with us in the minds of the children as they grow up. So it pleased all the people of Israel and they accepted this memorial that was erected by these tribes. they on the other side of the Jordan. So that basically is a story that you get here in the 22nd chapter of Joshua. Let us pray. Father God, let our lives be a memorial. Let our life become so much about you father that the world looks at us differently and they see us different than the world father let us not forget everything that you've done to us all the faithful promises that you have made that have come true in our lives today But father you have so many more promises that you want to fulfill in our lives Lord let us get on our knees And pray to you that your promises for our life will come and father you are faithful to make that come and Lord God we pray for those in Afghanistan Lord Lord let your promises come true there as well father let those people have safe passage And, Lord, work on the minds and the hearts of those that are in Washington today. Lord, so that they will change their minds. So that they can see the wrongs that they're doing currently. So that we can fulfill the mission of the United States, which is to be the protector. Lord, you created the United States to protect the world. For the United States to be a Christian nation, Lord, not a theocracy, but a nation that is led by the thoughts and the will of the Lord, our God. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord, and our salvation. And all God's children said, Amen music mm-hmm.